the sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas. Continuing his sermon for Christmas Eve on the union of the divine and human natures in our Lord. Man is a rational creature composed of soul and body. Bodily, I am an animal, but because of my spiritual soul, I am a rational animal. If you regard a person with a pain in his leg from the perspective of his soul only, you will immediately ask, how can this spiritual creature say he has a pain? For the soul has no legs, yet it is the soul which makes us human. How can he say that he extends his arm or has a pain in his arm, since he has neither arms nor legs, the soul being entirely spiritual? On the other hand, when you see a man talking and regard him from his corporal aspect only, and not his spiritual aspect as well, you will be astonished inasmuch as it is a quality of only a spiritual nature to be able to talk and to understand. Now if this man who complains of the pain in his arm, or who discourses, were composed only of body, or only of soul, he could neither discourse nor complain. But because of this strict union between his bodily and spiritual natures, forming but one indivisible person, we can truthfully say that this man, or rational animal, has a pain in his leg, or that he is talking or discoursing, understanding these two natures as if they were one. Similarly, because of the strict union between the divine and human natures in our Lord, we speak of them as if they were one. Analogies will help you to understand this better. Take an iron plate and cast it into a burning furnace. Then with tongs withdraw it from the fire. You will see that this plate, which shortly before was only iron, is now so inflamed that you cannot tell whether it is made of iron or of fire. For the iron is so inflamed that it appears to be fire rather than iron. So completely have these two natures mingled together. In this condition you could truthfully say that this fire is a fire of iron, and that this iron is iron that has caught fire. Yet this union is without prejudice to either, for the iron cast into the fire does not cease being iron, nor does the fire in the iron cease being fire. You have only to pour water on the hot iron plate, and it will return to its original form. It is similar with the divinity and the humanity in our Lord. The divinity is, as it were, the burning furnace into which the humanity has been cast, with this humanity so joined to divinity that it shares now in the divine nature in such a way that man has become God and God has become man, without, in this intermingling, the divine nature and the human nature ceasing to be what they were before. Now as the iron drawn from the furnace is no longer called simply iron, but flaming iron, and the fire a fire of iron, so we say in the Incarnation, God is humanized and man divinized. But there is an important difference. Throwing water on the inflamed iron cools it, and it returns to its original form. This does not happen in the union of divinity and humanity. For from the moment that the divine nature was joined to the human nature, it was never separated from it by any water of tribulation that was cast upon them. They have always remained most intimately united, 
with an indissoluble and inseparable union. This, then, is the way the mystery of the Incarnation is to be understood. Gideon was a captain in the army of Israel, and desired to know, before engaging in battle with the Midianites, if he would be favored by God. Therefore, he asked for a sign. He said to the Lord, I will take fleece, that is the shearing from a ram or ewe, and stretch it out on that part of the earth used as a threshing floor. If dew falls only on the fleece, so that in the morning I find the fleece thoroughly soaked, but the earth bone dry, then I will take this as a most certain sign that you will be favorable to me and that we will be victorious over our enemies. He placed the fleece down, and God in his goodness brought about the miracle. Dew fell so heavily from heaven that the fleece was drenched that it seemed to have been beaten for many days. Finding the fleece soaking wet with dew, Gideon took it and wrung it completely dry. A great deal of water was wrung out. Then he successfully engaged in battle. What does the fleece represent but our Lord's humanity, upon which the heavenly dew of the divinity fell with such great abundance that the humanity was divinized? But here, too, there is an important difference between the analogy and the incarnation. Gideon found the fleece completely saturated with dew, with water clinging to its surface, yet not wetting the ground. He wrung out the fleece, releasing the water. But in the incarnation, the two natures, having once become united, are never separated. Divinity, this divine dew, has never left the fleece of humanity, neither in life nor in death. It has always remained in union with our Lord's body and soul. And even though his body and soul were separated in death, divinity remained with both the one and the other, with the Savior's soul in limbo and with his sacred body in the tomb. There is also this difference. Though it was the fleece that sustained the water, it is not the humanity which sustains the divinity, but rather the divinity which sustains the humanity. Another analogy will make this clearer still. For some reason, poets think it uncivil to speak of the sponge. But certainly, since it was presented to our Lord during his passion, when he said that he was thirsty, from the moment this sponge touched the sacred lips of the divine Savior, it has been canonized. Since then, it has become an acceptable image for use when speaking of holy things. It is no longer an incivility to speak of it. It is, on the contrary, an honorable and becoming thing. For this reason, I will use it to help you understand the Incarnation. Imagine a huge sponge which grew in the sea and had never been used by any creature. In the sea, every part of this sponge is filled with water, with the sea above it, beneath it, all around and within it, not the least particle of it that is not saturated with water. But neither the sponge nor the sea loses its nature. Take note of this. Although the sea is in all parts of the sponge, the sponge does not absorb the sea, for the great and vast sea cannot be contained in the sponge. This comparison represents very well the union of the human and divine natures. The sponge symbolizes our Savior's sacred humanity, and the sea his divinity. His humanity is so imbued with the divinity that there is not a single part of our Lord's body and soul which is not filled with the divinity. 
yet without this human nature ceasing to be integrally human. But the humanity is not everywhere that the divinity is, for the divinity is like an infinite sea, which surrounds and fills everything, but cannot itself be contained by anyone or anything. By these comparisons, it is clear what the Incarnation is. When asked what this mystery is, you ought to answer thus. It is such a union of the human nature with the divine, such a joining of divinity with humanity, that by it man became God, and God, taking his nature, became man. Now to the third point of our reflection. Why did the Incarnation occur? It occurred in order to teach us to live no longer like brute animals, as people did after Adam's fall, but with and according to reason. Our Lord came, in fact, to teach us abstinence and sobriety in material things, honors and comforts of this world, to trample all that underfoot while embracing their opposites. Before the Incarnation, men lived like brute beasts, running after this life's honors and pleasures, as horses, dogs, and other animals go after what they covet. Watch a horse. When it is thirsty and finds a place to quench its thirst, it plunges into the water. Even if it is bridled, there is no way of stopping it. It will drag its rider with it. People who live not according to reason, but according to their disorderly appetites, plunge into the search for sensual satisfactions. Desiring to draw them away from this manner of life, our Lord became incarnate in order to bridle and check them, teaching them by his works not to value these things at all. There is no beast, however brutal, who does not recognize the one who is good to him. The horse knows its former stable because it was given its oats there. The dog knows its master. The same is true of other animals, which seem to have a certain feeling for those who are good to them. While man was living like a brute animal, our Lord came to teach him how to live otherwise. He gave him many wonderful examples of sobriety. And there is no one, however deficient in judgment and reason, who knowing this would not experience some feeling of gratitude for it. Now the Savior also became incarnate to teach us spiritual sobriety, which for him consisted in a detachment from and a voluntary privation of all the delightful and agreeable things he could have had and received in this life. He willingly and with full consent took upon himself all the labors and tribulations, poverty and contempt that could be endured in this world. His perfectly glorious soul continually enjoyed the clear vision of divinity, yet he did not wish for that reason to be exempt from sorrows. At the moment of his incarnation, he saw and read in the book of predestination all that he was to suffer. This book was entitled, The Holy Will of God. During his entire life, our Lord did nothing else but read, practice, and keep all that he had found written there, conforming his will to that of his heavenly Father, as he himself said, I came not to do my own will, but that of him who sent me. This has been taken from the Sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas, 
translated by Nuns of the Visitation, and edited by Father Louis S. Fiorelli, OSFS. Published in 1987 by Tan Books and Publishers Incorporated, Rockford, Illinois, and aired with permission of the publisher. This book may be purchased online at www.tanbooks.com or by calling toll-free 1-800-437-5876.